All right, we have been studying uh, the Holy Spirit uh, and uh, a couple of folks in the class asked me, when did I think we would actually finish the Gospel of John? <laughs> Since I've been on, on two verses here for five weeks and I said, well, I'll give you the best answer that I can give you without giving you a definite termination date and that is, I once read the story of a minister, a pastor, who preached, preached, not taught, preached on Romans for 11 years. <laughs> 11 years. Okay? So I think I'm doing pretty well here. Exactly. Are you going someplace? Or many of you, some of you are going someplace. I'm just trying to give you a passport. All right? So, so that's the story uh, of where we are. And, you know, obviously, when, we, when we, we camp out on the Holy Spirit, as Jesus now tells us, he's sending the Holy Spirit. Well, we want to know everything that we can about the Holy Spirit. And so you know that we've spent the last four or five weeks drilling down into this subject. You now know that the Holy Spirit is an entity, every bit an entity, just as Jesus is. Uh, and, and God the Father is. It's not a metaphysical force. It's not a wave. It's a personage, as much as we can understand that, as we use human language, and he's with us. And when we are Christians, when we come to faith, he not only is with us, but he, he resides in us. Uh, and, and now we've been studying what does that mean? What does that mean when we say that the Holy Spirit is within us? Uh, we understand that now when he is within us, he brings a number of things with him. Um, and one of the things that he brings with him is uh, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. And in addition to the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. Well, we have been studying the past several weeks the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Uh, and so we've studied so far that the fruit of the Spirit that you all have within you, that God has given you when you have been saved, uh, we've studied joy, love, first of all, of course, love leads the list. The love of God is the most important quality. I don't care about your spiritual giftedness, uh, but I care about the love of God in your heart. If you don't have the love of God in your heart, you need to go back and ask God to refill you with his spirit because every one of us needs to be filled with the love of God. That's the only way that we can show a lost world what it means, what it means to be a Christian. And so it's love, joy, peace, and patience. And I know that many of you will never forget the, the study on patience as you remember the sausage suits on Fifth Avenue. That, that's, I've been made to understand that that has matriculated its way throughout the entire church, including the women's study on Tuesday morning. It's all come back to me. But the good news is this, that's how you're going to remember this, the, the need for patience, all right? And that's what this is about, understanding that God wants you to be patient. God gives you the patience. He's there. Don't say, I don't have patience. That's not true. He's given it to you. Now, now, allow the Holy Spirit to be displayed in your life and ask him, Father, ask him to give you the strength to be filled and, and witness it in a greater sense. And so now we're going to continue the study. If you look at point six on the outline, we're going to start with kindness. Kindness. I know some of you are going, oh boy, here's another shortcoming. Kindness. God fills you 
with the fruit of kindness. What is kindness? Well, I define it there. It's the attitude out of which God acts towards men. If the Christian is kind, he must act toward others as God has acted towards him. Oh, that's a big statement, John. I have to act towards others the way God has acted towards me? That's right. God has extended salvation to you. God has given you blessings. God has surrounded you with his peace. He has affirmed you. That is the kindness of God with which you did not deserve. Turn to Titus. It's in the New Testament. Titus. Titus chapter 3. It's right before Hebrews. Titus chapter 3. Verse 4. But when the kindness... And love our God, love of God, our Savior appeared. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Kindness of God. Titus chapter 3, verse 4, the kindness of God. When the kindness of love our God, uh, our Savior appeared, that's exactly what it was about. That defines the kindness of God. You didn't deserve it. You were at war with him, but he gave you the grace to understand that you needed a Savior, and as you reached out to him, he extends his love. It's through the kindness of God. Um, And To me, one of the best examples that I can find in the Bible of kindness is the Good Samaritan. And I love that story because it operates on several levels. The first thing it does is it demonstrates that kindness is not related to religious position. Why do I say that? Because you know when when the man uh, was lying there on the side of the road beaten uh, and, and, and criminalized, that who passed first? the priest and the Levite. Now, why did Jesus tell that story that the priest and the Levite went by? Because religiosity does not equal kindness. You got that? Religiosity does not equal kindness. I don't care how many years you were in your church. I don't care how many years you were in your denomination. I don't care what position you hold in the church. Mere religious positionality does not equate to the kindness of God. And so many of us are tied up in that, chained by that, and we think that because we're we're involved with a certain denomination or a certain church, that automatically we have invested the kindness of God. Wrong! No, you don't. And Jesus proved it there with with that parable, that the priest passed by. Why? He was concerned about religious things. And this guy's bleeding. And I don't want to touch a guy that's bleeding because that violates my religious sen- sensitivities, right? Religious sensitivities. How much of our religious sensitivities are violated by the world? Let me tell you something. The world has a, a tremendous need for the kindness of God. Honestly, for the kindness of God. And only you, only you, people who are sold out to Jesus Christ, can extend that kind of kindness. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. And I want to assure you that you have this capacity within your heart. He gave it to you. 
through the Holy Spirit. You have that capacity to, dis- to display that kind of kindness. You have that capacity, just as the Good Samaritan had it, you have it also. Uh, and so, don't tighten it down, don't restrain yourself, don't refrain from extending it, because when your heart is touched, when your heart is touched, that's when God really moves. You know, it's like the story here that we were all a part of, that when we were in church, and we saw that, that grandmother come forward and ask for a blessing on those four kids. Remember that? I remember being in church that day. And something was not right when I saw this. It was just like God was saying to me, wake up, buddy. Wake up. Look. Look. Don't just days off in church. You know, why is a grandmother adopting four grandchildren? These kids are all eight, six, four, two. What is a, what's going on here? Wake up and see it. And then when Hayes said, I want your family to stand up that's here with you, and nobody stood up. You understand? The Holy Spirit touches you. And I know a number of you said to me later, you were, you were disturbed by that. You were disturbed by that. It's the Holy Spirit that does it. And so you see that when then what happens? Then, as, as I began to find out how desperate the condition was, that the, that the father uh, had committed suicide and had murdered the mother, and these kids were left alone, uh, and this woman was trying to raise them in a 600-square-foot trailer. And now the kindness of God comes through us. It's not us. It's not that you're a kind person. It is the Holy Spirit elevating you and saying you need to step up. You need to display to a world. And so you see how we all did it. I walked into this class and I said, God has touched my heart. As far as I'm concerned, I believe we have to move forward and get this lady a new place to live. They cannot live in a crime scene. And this class came together. And the 11 o'clock class came together. And the Monday night, the Monday morning class came together. And within three months to the day that she presented those kids in church, we moved her into a house fully paid for and furnished. Inspired by the Holy Spirit of God exhibiting itself through the kindness of God. You understand? Not ourselves, not our goodness, our righteousness, but the kindness of God. And it's the same thing that motivates people here in this class to go to the prisons and to, and to reach out to the prisons and reach out to the prisoners' families. In so many ways, it's the kindness of God. And so remember, what God has done for you, what God has done for you, uh, that you are exhibiting this to a lost world. Um, and, and, and by the way, I just have to remind you that I can't take questions during the course of the presentation because it's on the radio. And so I want to make a uniform presentation. You can come and see me later, and I'll talk to any one of you about any questions that you have. And so, con- so you see this. Kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. You have it. You have it. You also have goodness. And goodness, the Bible dif- differentiates. Goodness is similar to kindness, but is most often reserved for situations in which the recipient does not merit the goodness. Whoa. Wow. So it's kindness given to people who are not kind. Kindness given to people who are not necessarily deserving of it. Um, And it is linked to generosity. Turn to Mark chapter 10. Verse 17, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit 
uh, eternal life. You can just see this picture, right? Jesus, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Oh man, Jesus, you're not good? Lord, if you're not good, it's all over. Well, then you understand what the goodness of God is about. The goodness of God is so profound, so deep, uh, in so many ways that that you see Jesus saying, don't in any way use human language to think that covers the goodness of God. The goodness of God operates way beyond language. Uh, And it it is linked to generosity. God was so good to you that he saved you when you had no right to be saved. Nothing in your life really demanded salvation. You were lost, you were at war, you were shaking your fist to him, and suddenly, finally, through the grace of God, you recognized how desperate your condition was. And through the goodness of God to someone who didn't deserve it, God gave you Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen on that? That's the goodness of God. Now that very quality is within your heart because of the Holy Spirit. Oh Lord, really God, I have trouble being good to to my wife at times. That's right, because you've not really uh, submitted to the Holy Spirit. You've not asked for the Holy Spirit to blossom up in your life. You've not asked to be refilled. Are you speaking to God? Are you praying to God on a regular basis? Do you have a regular line of communication to God? Are you talking to God 100 times a day in every place that you go? When you're in here right now listening to me, you should be speaking to God. And you should be saying, Lord, tell me, Lord, was this, was this an issue in my life? Lord, you know me. If it's an issue in my life, Lord, convict me of this issue. Help me, Father, to to grow in you. Help me to develop this characteristic. All of us need to be having that ongoing discussion. Really, that's what this is about. That's how the Holy Spirit works. And understanding that that's exactly what Satan does not want you to do. Satan does not want you to think that God is good. Okay, Satan wants you to think, come on, he's not so good. Really, look at all the evil in the world. If he's so good, why would all this evil take place? That's the kind of thing Satan wants to put in your hand. And that is exactly what happened at the very commencement of the life of man in the Garden of Eden. Turn to Genesis chapter three, verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? That's my imitation of Satan. (laughs) The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it. Of course, he never said that or you will die, okay? Or you will die, that's what God told you. You couldn't eat from that tree, you could eat from any other tree, but God set uh, an ordinance, an ordinance, meaning obedience. You could do anything else, but I wanna see obedience to me. I wanna see submission to me in the human race. And so there it is, I wanna see that demonstrated. So verse four, 
Satan, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And what does that mean? It means this, don't believe God. He's not intrinsically good. He's holding back from you. You understand? It's not that he's good. He's afraid. You'll know as much as he knows. You see? And that's exactly how Satan presents a God uh, and devolves the issue of the goodness of God. Let me say something to you. I don't care what you go through in life. Never question the overwhelming sovereignty and goodness of God. You understand this? All right? This is not easy for me to say. Because I know a lot of you are suffering, a lot of you are going through difficult times, and I, and I know that, and I pray for you, and I'm burdened for you, but I want you to know something. You are a child of God, and when you are a child of God, God knows your life, he holds you in the palm of his hand, and he loves you so much that he bankrupted heaven for you. Don't ever think, don't ever think that God is not good. All right, don't ever think. And, and, and here's the thing, the, the goodness that you see here, the goodness of God, the fact that he would bankrupt heaven and send Jesus Christ to die on a cross, to see God himself dying on a cross for you in your desperate condition underlies what goodness is. And that very quality is within your heart through the Holy Spirit. You understand this? This is a deep subject, folks. It's a deep subject. A lot of people don't get this. The Holy Spirit has planted that seed. And so you're saying to me, well, how come I really, I don't, I find myself not being, not expressing that kind of kindness and goodness. It's because you haven't asked the Holy Spirit for a refilling. You haven't asked God to come into your heart and give you and, and elevate that spirit, to affirm that spirit. A lot of you are so tied up on the day-to-day -day walk in this evil world that you've forgotten the very things that God has given you, the very Holy Spirit that he's given you. This is what separates you from everybody that walked in the, whole, in the Old Testament. None of them had these characteristics living within their heart except the patriarchs. You got that? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Noah, they had it because God gave them that spirit. Uh, but you understand that in the general terms of those that walked, in the general ca category of those in the temple, in the synagogue, they didn't have this until Jesus died on the cross and he sent the comforter. That's what God has given us. This is what separates us from the world. And until we carry these characteristics to the world, and when I call these characteristics, these are the characteristics of Jesus Christ. That's what you're mirroring. You're mirroring Jesus in your life. It's not about you. It's about him. And that's important. And so many of us have lived our lives as about us. As about us. Right? It's about us. Put your head in the dust. Put your head in the dust and understand what it means to be saved and what God has given you. Oh, Lord. I mean, how much we have to learn. How much we have to learn. And so the next characteristic, the next fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. And faithfulness, as, as is defined as a fruit of the Spirit, is trustworthiness or reliability 
reliability, knowing that you will be there. This virtue involves truth, absolute fundamental truth. The one who is faithful will do what he says he will do and will not quit when the going gets tough. All right? You see the difference between this and the world? You have your friends in the world that are faithful with, with you, faithful for you, until all of a sudden you're not so popular. Until all of a sudden you don't have any money. Until all of a sudden you become a pariah, right? And then all of a sudden, whoa, where's your faithful friends now? You understand? This is now you see the difference between the world and, and uh, God and what, the, and what this means. Uh, this is the very description of Jesus Christ. Turn to Revelations chapter 1. Revelations chapter 1, verse 4. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. There it is, the faithful witness, the one who died for you on the cross because he remained faithful to his calling before God, the one who was sinless because he was faithful to the ministry that God had given him. That's faithfulness in the way that the world never will understand it. Look also at 1 Corinthians, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful trustworthy, reliable, unchanging. That's who God is. That's who Jesus is. That's the difference. While we're there also uh, in the Corinthians, look at chapter 10, please. Verse 12, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful, underline it. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. That's the faithfulness of God. Yes, you're going through difficult times. You're going through persecution and suffering, but God will not be tempt- let you be tempted beyond what you can stand up against. And what you are going through is what is common to this world, to what others are suffering, and yet God sees you. He is faithful, he will not abandon you. And so this is an important characteristic, understanding that that faithfulness also resides in your heart. I know you're wondering right now, really, really, I've got that? Yes, you do. What does it mean? It means that the Holy Spirit has given you the fruit of faithfulness, reliability, trustworthiness. That means that when we as Christians say we will do something, you can take it to the bank. We will not change. We will not walk away from people, even when people suffer, even when people will go down in prestige, even when people lose everything, we will still be faithful. That's what separates us from those outside this wall. That's a quality you can't find, but God has given us this. This is in our hearts. 
And so again, if, if you find that this is something that you're short of, you need to ask God, Lord, address this shortcoming in my life. I know, Lord, that you've given it to me. Help me to understand it. Next up, gentleness. Gentleness, gentleness. Whoa, boy. Man, I read this and I just say, God, I'm so short of the mark. I'm so short of the mark. Gentleness, gentleness is the virtue of the man who is in so much control of himself that he is always angry at the right time against sin and never angry at the wrong time. Is that you? Or are you the complete reversal of that? You're always angry. You're always angry. Uh, and when it's time to step up and be angry at things that are appropriate, you're so angry all the time that nobody can tell the difference. <laughs> you're just a nasty, angry person. Okay, let's understand something. God expects us to be gentle. He has given you this quality, and this quality is really exhibited in Jesus, and you see it in, in how Jesus comports himself. Take a look at Luke chapter 19. Actually, that's not the right verse. Let's look at Matthew 21, verse 12. Jesus at the temple. Okay, so here's Jesus at the temple. Here's the meek, mild, gentle kind Jesus. And now he walks into the temple. Verse 12, Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Can you just get this picture of Jesus? There he is, walks in, and there, there's probably a, a couple of hundred people selling things. You understand? This is a regular occurrence. There's money changers all over the place so that people could buy doves and, and sacrifices. And Jesus comes in there and he's infuriated to see the house of God debased. All right? And so what does he do? He starts flipping tables over. Jesus, what are you doing? You're losing your mind. I mean, people must have gone, I can just imagine the disciples going, what's gotten into him? What has gotten into him? Here's what's gotten into him. When you are truly gentle, there are certain things that are so, so much of an affront to the will of God that that's when you speak out. And when you speak out, as, a, as opposed to your normally gentle nature, people listen. You understand? People listen and you see this. And this wasn't the first time that Jesus did this. There were, there were at least two times that Jesus did this in the temple uh, uh, and, and, and exhibiting the anger of God. Yet in every aspect of his life, Jesus exhibited gentleness, even to the point where there he is on the cross and they've spat upon him and whipped him and flagellated him and, and nailed him to a cross. And in his gentleness, he still did not uh, heap vituperation on these people, but asked God to forgive them. That is the essence of gentleness that God has given you. You have that in your heart as a result of the Holy Spirit. Look at Numbers chapter 12, verse three. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. And I believe that if you look at other translations there, that word humble also refers to gentleness. Moses was a gentle man. He was a gentle man. Uh, and yet, what do you see about Moses? You see that from time to time when the people of God displayed arrogance and ignorance and blasphemed God, you saw his anger. You saw that. 
and yet you saw how he walked in when God told him to go to Pharaoh. And, and day after day, he repeated the warnings of God. It was because he was a gentle man. Uh, and yet we know, we know that, that there was a time when, when uh, Moses murdered a man uh, because he saw this man, an Egyptian, beating up uh, a Jew. And so even, even though he was this most gentle man, there are times in our, in our nature when, when, we don't, when we don't give up, we don't give in to the very nature of the Holy Spirit within us. God demands that you be gentle, okay? Understand that? That means when you come across people that are outside the will of God, you don't sit there and go, you are going to hell. I just feel like I have to tell you this. You're going to hell. I see how you're living. Why don't you go to church with me? Are you kidding me? I'm going in the exact opposite direction of you, bud. I don't, I don't, I'm not feeling the love. Well, you see, this is all part and parcel of love. You see, part and parcel of love. And so look, we're all saying, and I'm saying right now as I'm reading these words, oh, John, man, you got a long way to go. You got a long way to go, and that's okay. God understands, he loves you, and he loves you, but you should, what you should be saying is, Lord, fill me with this spirit of gentleness. I know you gave it to me, God. I know this is what you expect me to see. I know the world wants to see this. I mean, this is what differentiates us from those outside this wall. The very gentleness of Jesus Christ. That's how people are gonna come to faith. They're not gonna come to faith because you can memorize the 10 commandments or that you can rain down judgment on people. Remember this, folks. The only way we're gonna get people to change is when we get them from the sidewalk inside the church, not keep them outside. And some of us have done our best to keep them outside. All right? Really, this weighs heavy on my heart. The only way people are gonna change is when they come and are impacted by the Holy Spirit of God. They're gonna, not gonna be impacted by us They'll see Jesus mirrored in our lives, but ultimately when they're gonna be saved is that the Holy Spirit will come face to face with them and, you, and, and their lives will be impacted forever. Gentleness, gentleness, gentleness. The final manifestation of the Spirit's fruit is self-control. Whoa. I just, Lord have mercy on me. Lord have mercy on me. The quality that gives victory over carnal desires. I know you like to hear some stories uh, about how I've struggled with certain of these issues. And I will give you a personal story that goes back to 1974. In 1974, we were in the middle of the gas crisis. Do you remember that? Most of you do, right? Remember, even in odd rationing, right? You had to look at your license plate, see what your license plate was, and you got in line, and sometimes the lines were like a half a mile long. You couldn't get any gas. You know, the world was changing in a way we never thought it would be. I needed a lot of self-control in those days, all right? I remember stories of people waiting in line all night long. By the time they get to the gas pump, the pumps had shut down. You know, and you would hear fist fights and all these kind of things. So as a result of all of this, I decided, I was, you know, I'm 25 years old, I decided I'll better get a Toyota. I need a Toyota. You can imagine me sitting in a Toyota. 
I need a Toyota. Carlo's already laughing. I need a Toyota, and I did all the research. Consumer Digest, uh, you know, was the best gas mileage. I did it all, Linda and I did it. So we bought a Toyota, and this thing was awful. <laughs> it was awful. Uh, and what the problem was is that this car would inexplicably stall out in the middle of traffic. <laughs> and it would do it routinely. <laughs> and so now I'm at a traffic light, and there's a lot of traffic around, and the car stalls out. And people are beeping their horns. And the car won't start. And so what do I do? A man filled with the Holy Spirit. I jump out of the car. My wife is in the passenger seat. I slam the door. I go to the front of the car, and I poo spit on the car. No, it didn't start. And I get back into the car, and Linda's just sitting there with her mouth wide open. <laughs> That's an example of the lack of self-control, okay? All right? I'd like to say that, you know, 30 or 40 years later, God has worked on me and has given me some more degree of patience and, and, and basically self-control, but this is a long journey, all right? <laughs> And so I'm, I'm sure that you all have your own personal testimonies in regard to this. I know you all do. Uh, I want you to turn to John chapter 7. That's another one you can sp spread around the church. John chapter 7. I want you to think about Jesus, all right? I want you to think about this. And this is an issue that you may not really reflect. Here's Jesus. He's part of a regular family. He's got a mother. His father has passed. He's got brothers and sisters. We know this from the Bible. Jesus has brothers and sisters. John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 3. Jesus' brothers said to him, his brothers, you ought to leave here, that's the home, you ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Now that's a jibe in case you don't recognize it. You understand? Yeah. That was not an uplifting statement. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. Verse five, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. What do you think it was like to be Jesus, to be the son of God, and your own brothers don't accept you? And none of them accepted him until he was resurrected, then we know that James did, all right? But think about this. What kind of self-control would you have? Your own brothers? I would go, are you people kidding me? I can't stand you as my family. Now, in, in fairness, in fairness, most likely, I hope Mary didn't say, why can't you be like your brother Jesus? Why can't you be like Jesus? Oh, Jesus, I can just imagine, you know, what's going on. <laughs> My son had a good line when we were talking about this yesterday. And he said, yeah, Dad. He said, think about this. Your brother tells you he's the son of God. 
How do you think that's going to go over? <laughs> but here's the point. He was not accepted by his own family. I mean, really, you want to talk about self-control, self-restraint? What is it like to, to basically go through this and not have your own family? His mother knew. His mother knew who he was, and yet his own brothers did not ex accept him and did not uh, really understand who he was until he was resurrected from the dead. That, to me, is an example of the ultimate amount of self-control. Part of how Jesus, when he's on the cross, is not heaping uh, blasphemies on those who are crucifying him and yet has that self-control. What an example of the self-control of Jesus Christ. And that self-control is part of the fruit that the Holy Spirit has given you. So, what does it mean? It means this, that if you are not exhibiting this, you need to say to the Lord Jesus, Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to advance in this area where I'm short. Give me a greater amount of this, and God will honor that. You already have the seed within you, all right? It's you already have the seed. Remember this, the self-control or the patience or the gentleness, all these issues are not coming out of your character. You understand this? This is something that I've had to come to realize. It's not your personal characteristics. It's the characteristics of God through the Holy Spirit. And that's the essence of this lesson as we come to fully understand what it means to have the Holy Spirit residing in your life. Let's close in prayer and continue this next week. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much, Lord, for your continuing lesson on the Holy Spirit, how deep this subject is, Lord, as we understand the fruit of the Spirit. What does it mean, Lord, when, when the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives? And when we read this list of overwhelming qualities and we sit here and we put our face in the dust and say, Lord, it's not me, I can't do this. And yet you say, yes, it is you. I've given it to you. You need to have it affirmed and lifted up and bubbled up in your life. And the only way we can do that is to be filled and refilled through the Holy Spirit. Lord, continue to have this message resonate in our lives. Touch our people this, Lord, this week. Protect them in everything that they do. Bring them back safely to continue the study of your word as we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you.